Welcome to the Whitefields Community Church Podcast. For more information about our church, including location and service times, visit us online at whitefieldschurch.com. If you are blessed by this message, please consider sharing it with others and leaving a rating or review on your favorite podcast app. Good morning, everybody. Nice to see you. Happy Father's Day to you dads out there. Hey, we're starting a new sermon series today, so please open in your Bibles to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, our series is called Strength in Weakness, and today is our first study in this series in which we're going to be studying through this entire book of the Bible. So please bow your heads with me and let's pray as we open God's Word. Lord, thank you that you are a good Father, that you love us. Lord, that you are good to us, and you provide us with all that we need. Lord, thank you that as we walk into this room today, as we watch online, Lord, those of us who gather to study your word today, Lord, you know exactly what's going on in our lives and what we need. And thank you, Lord, that you are capable and you are willing to meet those needs. And so we ask, Lord, minister to us through your word. Help us to grow. Help us to not just understand what it says, but Lord, help us to be transformed by these truths. Shape us, shape our thoughts, shape our lives, we ask, through the study of your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, when Vivek Ranadive was asked to coach his daughter's basketball team, his 12-year-old daughter, she's on a basketball team, they asked him to be the coach, he said yes, because it was his daughter and there was nobody else to coach the team. He said yes, he signed up, but there was only one problem, and that is that Vivek Ranadive had never played basketball before. In fact, he had never touched a basketball in his life. He was a software engineer working in Silicon Valley, California. Hardly an athlete, just to say that. But he also, he grew up in India. And in India, he had never played basketball. The only sports that he knew about were cricket and soccer. But when he was asked to coach his daughter's basketball team, he said yes, And then he immediately went out and got a basketball rule book and said, I better learn the rules of basketball if I'm going to coach this team. The fact that he had never played basketball in his life or even touched a basketball is what made it so surprising when in that first year of coaching his daughter's basketball team, they went to the national championship. You see, Vivek's weakness, which is that he had never played basketball before in his life, it actually turned out to be a surprising strength. There was a strength in that weakness which turned out to be the key to his success. You see, here's what happened. As Vivek Ranadive read the basketball rule book, he noticed a few things that really stuck out to him. First of all, when he was reading the book and then he was watching teams play the sport, like on TV, he noticed something. He noticed that when one team would score, Uh, as he watched the game, generally that team who scored, they would then run to the opposite end of the court and they would allow the other team to inbound the ball and bring it down to them and then they would try to defend their own basket. And Vivek found this confusing. I mean, why would you run to the other end of the court, he wondered. Why why not just stay there under your own basket and try and steal the ball because you're so much closer to your basket. If you steal the ball, then you could just score again and you could win. Well, there's a name for that. It's called a full-court press. And sometimes teams do play a full-court press, but Vivek wondered, well, why don't they do it all the time? Then Vivek stumbled upon another interesting rule. The rule was this. When one team scores, the next team then gets the ball, but they only have five seconds to inbound the ball. 
If they're not able to get the ball onto the court within five seconds, the ball automatically turns over and is given to the other team. Another interesting rule he found is that if that team succeeds in inbounding the ball, they only have 10 seconds to get the ball over the half-court line into the other side of the court, or else the ball is automatically given back to the other team. So Vivek came up with a strategy. He taught his team, we're going to play a full-court press the entire game. We're going to try and just stay on one half of the court the entire game. We're going to try and prevent the other team from inbounding the ball at all, and if they do inbound the ball, we're going to just surround them so they can't move the ball and they can't get the ball past half court. And that way, they'll just keep giving the ball back to us and we'll already be on our side of the court. Well, his strategy paid off surprisingly well. Vivek's teams not only won every game they played, they absolutely destroyed the other teams they played. Teams with girls who had been playing, you know, since they were very small. Teams with girls who were taller and more athletic. They beat everybody, and not just by a little. They beat them by a lot. You see, Vivek's weakness, which was a real weakness. He had never played basketball in his life. It turned out that there was actually uh, an unexpected strength hidden in that weakness. The fact that he had never played basketball was indeed a weakness, but it gave him a strength, and that was that it enabled him to look at the game in ways that other people didn't look at the game because they were too familiar with it. You see, all of us have weaknesses. That's part of what it means to be human. But many people are afraid of having their weaknesses exposed. They're afraid of other people seeing them as weak people. And yet, there are surprising benefits in weakness. One of them is that weakness forces you to realize that you cannot rely on yourself, and therefore you must look beyond yourself for the strength that you need. Well, here in Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, Paul the Apostle is going to be showing us the surprising value that is to be found when you come to terms with your human weakness. Because it's in our weakness that God's strength can shine through and be made manifest most clearly in our lives. And it's in those times when we realize that we are weak that it causes us to turn to God and rely on Him rather than relying on ourselves. Recently, a friend of mine was commenting about how oftentimes there is a culture of shame associated with weakness. And as a result, people try to hide their weaknesses. They feel like they have to pretend that they've got it all together when they don't, or they're afraid to ask for help even when they really need it, lest other people should see them as weak. Because weakness, in many situations, is looked down upon. But that attitude of hiding weakness or even looking down on weakness is really the opposite of the message of Christianity. See, in the book of Romans, Paul the Apostle writes, he says, while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. The message of the gospel, you see, is all about God's work God's power at work in human weakness. Jesus Christ came to save us because we could not save ourselves. He came to save us because of our weakness. He did for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And yet, there are still people who will say, I don't need God because I'm good enough, I'm strong enough on my own. Christianity, some people have said, is a crutch 
for the weak. I say, no way. Christianity is not a crutch for the weak. Christianity is a hospital bed. It's the entire hospital. It's not just the hospital. It's the medical system with a rehab facility, right? Like, it's the whole deal. A crutch for the weak. No, give me a hospital because I'm beyond weak. I'm broken, right? As Christians, our weaknesses are not some things that we need to hide or cover up or be ashamed of. Rather, look at what Paul is going to tell us about weakness here in this letter. Here's what Paul says in chapter 12 towards the end of this letter. He says, he, Jesus, said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So as we study through this letter, the title of our series is Strength in Weakness. And we're going to see this theme repeated throughout this entire letter. And as we do, as we study through this book and consider this theme, our goal is going to be to grow in reliance upon the Lord, laying down our pride and self-reliance and surrendering our lives to him as we grow in appreciation for his grace in our lives. So the title of today's message is The God of All Comfort. And here's what we're going to see in our study today. Here's our summary sentence, our takeaway truth. I'd love it if you'd write it down to remember it as you go. And it'll also be our outline for as we study this passage today. Here's what it is. Rather than being signs of spiritual failure, weakness and suffering give us the opportunity to grow in relationship with God and be used by God as we rely on him. So let's take that sentence and let's break it down into a few parts as we study these verses today. So first off, rather than being signs of spiritual failure, 2 Corinthians begins with these words. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God that is at Corinth with all the saints who are in the whole of Achaia. This letter was written by Paul the Apostle to the Christians in the Greek city of Corinth. And he also addresses it to all of the saints in the whole of Achaia. Achaia, by the way, is the region of southern Greece, which is where Corinth is located. Notice that Paul calls these people saints, and he calls himself an apostle. They're saints, and he's an apostle. Now, to say that these people were saints... It wasn't to say that these were super spiritual people or that they were pros or masters at Christianity. They were not. Actually, quite the opposite. As we're going to see in this letter, the Corinthian Christians had a lot of problems. They were flawed people, just like you and me. And yet, Paul refers to them as saints. You know, the way we often use the word saint today is to refer to people who lived a long time ago who lived exemplary lives, people who are particularly holy or exemplary in their behaviors and their attitudes. But that's not the way that the Bible actually uses the word saints or the way the word saint is used here in the Bible. To be a saint, according to the Bible, is not a status that you earn by good conduct Rather, to be a saint, according to the Bible, is a status that you receive. It's a status that's bestowed upon you because of what Jesus has done for you. You see, the word saint means a holy one. 
And the Bible tells us that when you put your faith in Jesus, not only does he forgive your sins, but he gives you a new status before God. He gives you the status of saint because you have been sanctified by what Jesus did for you in his life and through his death. That's God's grace to you. It's his gift that he gives you. So the word saint tells us about your position before God as a person who believes and trusts in Jesus. In addition to telling the Corinthians or reminding the Corinthians of who they are in Christ, he also reminds them, Paul does, of who he is in relation to them. He says, I am an apostle by the will of God. Now the word apostle comes from the Greek word apostolos, which means one who is sent. Now, more specifically, it's a word that is used to designate an official representative who is commissioned by someone to act or to speak on their behalf. Now, this word apostolos or apostle, it's particularly interesting when you understand that it was used in the Greek Old Testament to refer to people like Moses and Gideon, and the prophets. These people were called apostles, sent by God as official representatives to act and speak on his behalf. And so by saying and asserting that he is an apostle, understand, Paul is reminding the Corinthians of the unique calling that he has received from God, a calling that is on par with or similar to the calling of Moses, the calling of the prophets, the calling of the judges like Gideon back in those times. And that's important because, as we're going to see in this letter, there were some people there in Corinth who were very critical of Paul. They questioned his credentials as an apostle. They questioned his authority. Because basically what they said was, Paul isn't qualified to be a spiritual leader. Nobody should listen to him. Nobody should follow him. And here was their reasoning. They said, the reason nobody should look to Paul as a spiritual leader or follow him is because he suffers too much. In other words, there's too many bad things that happen to him in his life. And that is the sign that clearly God must not be with this man because if God was with him, he wouldn't have so many problems in his life. See, basically what they said is that Paul wasn't spiritual enough and that was the proof of it, that he had too many difficulties and hardships in his life and they were campaigning against him, telling people not to listen to what he had to say or to follow him as a leader. They argued that God must not really be with him. He must not really be a man of God because if he was, they said, then he wouldn't have so many problems in his life. And they were right, by the way, that Paul suffered a lot. As we will see in this book, Paul actually gives two lists of some of the, some of the hardest things that he suffered in his life. But even if you just read the New Testament, what you'll notice is that you'll see Paul, he suffers a lot. He's often sick. He was shipwrecked, bitten by snakes, beaten within inches of his life, arrested, falsely accused. His life was, was a disaster in some ways. And these people looked at that and they said, if Paul has all these difficulties, that must be the sign that he's not truly a man of God. Because if he were, he would be a winner. Instead, he looks weak. And they said, is that the image that we want to portray to the world? Here's our leaders. Look at how messed up their lives are. Look at how much they struggle and suffer. Instead, they said, what we need is Christian leaders who are strong and victorious, not weak and suffering like Paul. So instead of following Paul, these people said, you know who you should follow instead? You should follow us. 
because they said, look at our lives. Our lives are going great. You know, our kids are obedient. We've got money in the bank. Things are awesome. And that's the sign that God is with us and not with Paul. That was the big argument that was being made. Here in 2 Corinthians, Paul is going to respond to these claims. And he's going to show us that rather than being a sign of spiritual failure, weakness and suffering actually give us unique opportunities, opportunities to grow in relationship with God and be used by God as we rely on him. Now, even though many people in Corinth were criticizing Paul and critical of Paul, they were questioning him as a leader. Notice how in verse 2, Paul responds to them. He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace can be defined as God's undeserved, unearned, unmerited favor. Grace is when God gives you something that you don't deserve. So to these people who were speaking against him, rather than saying, I hope you get what you deserve. I hope God gives you what you deserve for what you're doing. No, instead, Paul says, grace to you. I know that God hasn't given me what I deserve for all the times when I've been wrong, and I want you to experience God's grace as well, because I know that it's only by first knowing God's grace that you can ever have peace in your life. So that brings us to the next part of our sentence. Rather than being signs of spiritual failure, weakness and suffering give us the opportunity to grow in relationship with God. And here's what he says, starting in verse 3. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. Second Corinthians is generally considered to be Paul's most intimate and personal letter of all the letters he wrote in the New Testament. And the reason is, first of all, because he's writing this letter to people he knew very well, and cared about very much. Paul had lived in Corinth. You know, he started the church there. You can read about that in Acts chapter 18, how Paul went to Corinth. He lived there for almost two years. He preached the gospel. He was the first pastor of this church. And so he knew many of these people intimately. He knew them well. But the other reason why this is such an intimate, personal letter is because Paul is writing about things that have touched his life in profound ways. He's writing about suffering, which is a personal and intimate thing for the person who goes through it. It's touched his life very deeply. As you read those verses, verses 3 through 5 that we just read, you'll notice two things. First of all, you'll notice that there's a lot of suffering in those verses. But the other thing you'll notice is that there's a lot of comfort in those verses. Paul is admitting that in his life, he says, you know what? I have experienced an abundant amount of suffering. And yet here's what's so interesting. Rather than being angry at God, rather than shaking his fist at the sky, instead, what do we see here? We see Paul blessing God and praising God for the ways in which God has comforted him in the midst of his afflictions. A couple of years ago, I made a trip back to Hungary to attend and to officiate a funeral. And this funeral was particularly hard. I've done some hard funerals. This one was one of the hardest, maybe, maybe the hardest, because it was a funeral for a young child. Uh, the man who became pastor of the church, which I pastored when I lived in Hungary, the man who took over for me when I left, he and his wife had had a baby. 
But when the baby was a few months old, they discovered that the baby had a um, genetic disorder. And this genetic disorder was fatal, and there was no cure for it. And so you can imagine that what we would do is we did. We started praying, right? Got everybody, asked everybody we knew to pray for this baby, that God would heal this baby and save this child. But after a few months, the child died. And it was devastating. So they asked me to come out and be with them. And so I did. I led the funeral. But shortly after that happened, one of the elders in the church there, an elder who, by the way, I appointed, he started going around and saying, you know, the reason this baby died was because the pastor wasn't strong enough spiritually. You see, when I lived in Hungary, when I was pastoring that same church, I also had a situation where one of my children was sick and almost died. And at that time, we prayed. We asked everyone we knew to pray. And by God's grace, our daughter got better. And this elder in the church started going around telling people, see, Nick prayed for his child to be healed, and she was. But this new pastor, he prayed for his child to be healed, and he wasn't. So there you go. There's the proof that Nick was truly a man of God, but this new pastor isn't. That's the exact thing that the people in Corinth were saying about Paul. And you know, there in Hungary, this this elder eventually, you know what he did is he turned a lot of people against the pastor, convincing them that this suffering he, had, he was enduring, losing his child, was a sign of his spiritual weakness. It was terrible and tragic. I mean, can you imagine on top of losing your child to then lose half your church? And yet this new pastor, he's still leading that church to this day. He hasn't given up on Jesus. He hasn't become bitter towards God despite the loss of his son. Instead, in the midst of this tragedy, rather than turning away from God, he said, where else can I go? He ran to God because he knew that God was the only source of comfort that could possibly comfort him in the face of such a great tragedy. You see, Jesus never promised that if you follow him, that he will make your life comfortable and easy. You know what Jesus said instead? He told us very clearly, here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. That's one of his less popular promises. It's not, you don't see a lot of people like getting that tattooed on their arm or like writing it on their bathroom mirror. But it's true. And he said, not only are you going to have problems, you're going to have a lot of problems in this world. And you know what? That is a fact of life. Whether you are a follower of Jesus or not, that's a fact of life. You will have many trials and sorrows in this life. But, Jesus said, and that's an important but, take heart because I have overcome the world. In other words, no matter who you are, we live in a world that is broken and messed up, and this world is full of people who are broken and messed up. And guess what? I'm one of them, and so are you. And as a result, life in this world will always be a mix of joys and sorrows, and there will be times when it feels like there are more sorrows than joys. But the hope that we have in Jesus is not that if you follow him, you will have a sorrow-free life. The hope we have in Jesus is this, that if you follow him, he will give you something that will comfort you in your sorrows and give you hope that goes beyond this life, the hope of eternal life where there will be no more sorrows forever. 
You see, here Paul refers to God as the God of all comfort. The word used here for comfort is an interesting word because it doesn't mean soothing sympathy. I pat you on the head and say, oh, it's, it's okay, it's going to be all right. Oftentimes that's what we think when we, we hear that word comfort. But this word comfort that's used here, the word paraclesis, para means with. And what paraclesis means, it means to come alongside someone who is weak and make them strong. To come alongside someone and help them in their weakness and strengthen them. What Paul is explaining to the Corinthians and to us is this. When you suffer hardship or difficulty, there is an opportunity for you to grow in relationship with God. When things happen to you that you don't understand, there is an opportunity for you to turn to your heavenly Father and bury your face in his chest. It's an opportunity for you to exercise the faith, your faith, right? To put into practice the things that you claim to believe about God in theory that God is good, or that, that God has a plan, even if you don't know what it is. And as you do that, as you turn to him in those times, your faith will grow, and he will comfort you and strengthen you. He will come alongside you and help you. In other words, suffering gives you an opportunity to grow in relationship with God in ways that you could not experience otherwise. And what Paul is telling the Corinthians is this. Yes, I have suffered a lot, but as a result, God has done things in me. I have been strengthened. I have grown in relationship with him in ways that I could not have otherwise. And friends, here's the point, and I really want you to understand this. God has a higher purpose and a greater calling for your life than that you would just have a comfortable and easy life here and now. How many of us, right, like our vision for our lives is, well, here's my, here's my plan and my vision. I want God to take away my problems and not let bad things happen to me. That's my vision, right? And God would say, actually, I've got a bigger vision for you than that. I've got a higher purpose for your life that I have called you and I want you to fulfill. And you know what it is? He says, here's my vision and my purpose for your life. Number one, that you would be formed into the image of Christ. That's the first part of that. And the other purpose that he has for your life is that you would be used by him for his purposes in the world and in the lives of others. And you know what? If it requires some pain in order to see those things accomplished, so be it. You see, rather than being signs of spiritual failure, weakness and suffering give us an opportunity not only to grow in relationship with God, but to be used by God. Remember what Paul said in verse 4. Remember what he said? He said, God comforts us in all of our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. What that means is that sometimes the way God brings comfort into your life is through another person. But it also means that God might want to use you to comfort somebody else. Now, this doesn't mean that the only reason God lets you go through difficult things is so that you can comfort somebody else later on. But it does mean that as you experience God's comfort and strength in your life, he is equipping you. 
He's equipping you to help others who will go through those same things. And I would challenge you and encourage you to think that through. What are some of the ways in which you have gone through things and God has helped you? And he wants to use those experiences, the ways that he's helped you. He wants you to pass that on and share it with others. He wants to use you as an instrument of his comfort and hope in the world. So does this mean that you can only help somebody if you've been through the exact same thing that they've been through? Well, no. You can show love and compassion to anybody. But you know what? It does help sometimes if there's somebody who has been through a similar thing that you're going through who's able to come alongside and say, you know what? I've been through something similar. Here's how the Lord encouraged me. Here's how he brought me through. You know, this is one of the reasons why the church is such a powerful thing and every member matters. You know, something that I sincerely and honestly believe in the church. Here's one of the reasons. You know, I have, I've had people over the years come up to me with things they're going through, and, and I'm able to say to them, you know, I've never had cancer. I, I've never lost a spouse. I've never had that struggle with my kids that you're going through, but I do know somebody else in the church who has, and I want to connect you with that person so they can share with you how God comforted them, how God strengthened them, and how God encouraged them. And, and I hope that they can do that for you. Maybe God will use them to help you. You see, what Paul's describing here is one of the ways in which the church can function as the body of Christ in the world. Look at what he says in verse 6. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. He says in verse 7, Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. Again, God's calling and vision for your life, friends, it is bigger than just that you would have a comfortable and easy life. God wants to shape you and make you more like Jesus. He wants to use you as an instrument to do his work in the world and in the lives of other people. And hardships and difficulties, rather than being signs of spiritual failures, they are things which give us an incredible opportunity to grow in relationship with God and be used by God. But that brings us to the last part of our sentence. That happens as we rely on him. It happens as we rely on him. Verse 8 says this, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. Those who spoke disparagingly of Paul, they thought that his sufferings and trials were a source of shame and embarrassment, the kinds of things that you don't want other people to know about since they thought that it was important to project an image of being victorious, of being a winner, the kind of person who always succeeds and never fails. But notice what happens here. Rather than being embarrassed about his sufferings, rather than trying to hide his sufferings, Paul says, no, I want you guys to know about all the afflictions we suffered in Asia. Now, when Paul talks about Asia, understand he's not talking about East Asia, like China and Vietnam or Mongolia. When Paul talks about Asia, he's referring to the Roman province of Asia, which is actually in western Turkey. The capital city of this province was Ephesus. And after Paul left Corinth, we read in the book of Acts, he went to Ephesus and he spent three years there. So when he talks about the sufferings he endured in Asia, he's talking about the ways in which he suffered after he left Corinth when he was stationed in Ephesus. And Paul's saying, I want you to know, 
I want you to know about the kinds of things I went through over these last few years when I was in Ephesus. I went through some things that were really, truly hard. Look what he says in the end of that verse. He says, we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Friends, let me ask you, have you ever felt that way? Utterly burdened beyond your strength to the point where you despaired of life itself. He says in verse 9, indeed we felt that we had received a sentence of death. Whatever it was that Paul went through that he's referring to, and Bible scholars, you know, they speculate about what this might have been. Some believe that it was persecution that he endured during his time in Ephesus. Other people suggest that it might have been a physical malady or infirmity that he suffered during this time. Other people think it refers to a specific time in which he was beaten within inches of his life. But whatever it was, it was so intense, so heavy, that Paul was convinced that he couldn't possibly go on. But he says there at the end of verse 9, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. When weakness and suffering come into your life, you know what it does? It humbles you. You know, I have a friend who, when he was younger, he was a man's man. He, he worked in the trades. He rode motorcycles, climbed mountains. He was strong and capable. He didn't take any handouts from anybody. But then he got cancer. And he told me, it's been extremely humbling. Because when weakness and suffering come into your life, it makes you aware of just how fragile you actually are. It makes you aware of how many things in life you don't actually have control over. And you might say, Nick, that sounds terrible. I hope, that never, uh, I, hope I never experience anything like that in my life. Uh, but, but let me tell you this. It's not terrible. And you know why? Because the Bible tells us that God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Becoming humble isn't something to be scared of. That, that's a good thing. You see, this whole predicament we're in as a world is because we as people were created by God to rely on him. But in our arrogance, in our pride, we've said, no, we don't need God. We don't need to rely on what he says. We're going to do what we want to do. I'm going to go this way, even though God says to go that way. Or we might say, I don't need God because I'm strong enough, smart enough, and good enough on my own without him. But what happens when you experience weakness is that it humbles you. It makes you acutely aware of just how much you do rely on the Lord for everything, from your next breath to your next heartbeat to the next day when you're going to wake up in the morning to the fact that you're protected throughout the day. There are countless things that you have absolutely no control over, and it's those moments in your life when you come face to face with the limitations of your humanity that it starts to make you become humble. And again, humility is not something to be afraid of. Rather, becoming humble is one of the best things that can ever happen to you because pride creates a barrier between you and God, whereas humility opens the door for you to receive his grace. And this is why Paul says later on in this book, in chapter 11, verse 30, this astounding statement. He says, if I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. What a crazy thing to say. Why would anybody say that? It's because Paul realized that suffering and weakness forced him 
to rely more on God. And as Paul relied more on God and less on himself, he found true strength. He experienced God's power and God's grace in his life in ways that he never would have experienced otherwise, which is why Paul concludes this section in verse 10 by saying, he delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. And he says, you also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted to us through the prayers of many. Paul says, God brought us through that time of great difficulty we faced, but you know what? Our hope is in an even greater deliverance, a deliverance that's beyond just the difficulties of this life when God will deliver us from death itself. That's the hope. That's the promise of the gospel, that no matter what you face in this life, God will strengthen you and bring you through it, and he will use those things you go through as opportunities for you to grow in relationship with him and be used by him. And ultimately, as you rely on him, he will deliver you from death and bring you to where he is forever. The essence of what it means to believe in Jesus is to rely on him rather than relying on yourself. The message of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, is that Jesus came to do for you what you could not do for yourself. And it is as you humble yourself before him and admit that you need his provision, his care, and his strength, as you look to him in faith, he will give you the grace that you need both for eternal life and for this life as well. Rather than being signs of spiritual failure, weakness and suffering give us the opportunity to grow in relationship with God and be used by God as we rely on Him. Would you please bow your heads with me and let's pray as we also take communion. You have been listening to a message from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. For more information and audio content, visit us at whitefieldschurch.com. Make sure to tap the subscribe button if you would like to have new messages delivered to your device every week when they are released. If you have been blessed by this message and would like to support our ministry, you can do so by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or by giving a donation to our church on our website at whitefieldschurch.com.